Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, September 22nd. There is a simple key to happiness. Resolve to be happy. Depend not on outer things for what you want in life. Earthly happiness is like a rainbow, radiant with bright colors, but evanescent. Evanescent. For it consists only of raindrops, which in human life are the droplets of earthly sorrow. When you learn to welcome the rain, as gladly as you smile at a rainbow, the one bringing cleansing to the heart, the other reminding you of God's inner joy, you will be happy always. This is something that Master said, Yogananda said, circumstances are always neutral. Whether they make you happy or sad depends on the disposition of the mind, the orientation of the mind the choice that you make. Now, almost everyone has an instinctive rejection of that idea. It's a profound spiritual truth, but it is by no means easy to grasp. And so we we have to start with this particular advice that Swami's giving us with a kind of calm, realistic expectation that this is something I have to work my way toward. So the, the way I suggest you work with this is the way I worked with everything that Swamiji said to me over the course of 45 years. And of course, at the beginning, I had to do more of this than I had to do as the years passed. I had too much respect for him to think to, to reject anything he said. But I also had a great deal of respect for myself. And so if I didn't understand it, I was completely incapable of just saying yes, sir, and going on as if it was true. I experimented with that way of behaving, but it never worked for me. When Swami Kriyananda himself became a disciple of Master, he became a disciple after reading Autobiography of a Yogi. Within a week, he was a monk in Yogananda's ashram, and he had been initiated as a disciple. It just and be, and before that, Swami had never even heard the word guru. I mean, it was just complete. Perhaps well, he certainly didn't know what the word guru meant. When he first heard the word yoga, he thought it was yogurt. I mean, it was just like, this was 1948, and these things just weren't common. But he absolutely knew that Master belonged to him. After reading Autobiography of a Yogi, he he knew that Master was his guru, and there was no life for him. He was 22 years old. He took a bus across the country from New York City to Los Angeles. As soon as he was able to speak to Master, he said, I want to be your disciple. Swami died um, in 2013, and never in all that time did he waver from that commitment to Master. However, and Swamiji said it himself, he said, I followed Master unquestioningly, unhesitatingly. I followed Master unhesitatingly, but never unquestioningly. Because it doesn't do us any good even to allow a God-realized master to suppress any aspect of ourselves. If we're going to give ourselves 
to God, Guru, and to these spiritual teachings, we have to own ourselves first. We can't just take pieces of it and smash it in the corner and then just pretend we're offering it. We have to actually, consciously know what we're doing. So when I was first with Swamiji, he would often say things that I just didn't know what to do with. And it wasn't about the teachings. It was more about human nature, about society, about the way people worked, about feelings, about... I just, I was so, I think the word is intellectual, so mental, that I really didn't understand human nature at all. And Swami would often make these sweeping generalizations, or that's how they seemed to me, that I just, I couldn't comprehend. But I couldn't reject them, so I would put them in little boxes mentally, and I would put them on this very far corner of this very far shelf, because I didn't want them right where everything I was using. I didn't want to have to see them every day. But I also had to keep them. So just like sometimes you stick something up on the shelf and then you take it down a long time later and you think, well, this is beautiful. Why didn't I like it? And of course, it's not it that has changed. It's you. And so I have to say, without a, without a single exception that I can recall, everything he said eventually made sense to me. But I had to have enough life experience. He was 22 years older than me. So I had to have enough life experience that, you know, even a tiny bit of what he had before I could understand it. So this simple teaching, you'll be happy if you decide to be happy, is one of those things that I I had to say when I first heard it, wow, that's interesting. (coughs) That would be super duper, but I wonder what that means. So you have to kind of, let me put it like this, it's one of those teachings that I, I, I have always used it as the observer. It sort of sits in the side of my mind, and of course I'm much less, well, I don't know. We still go up and down. I, look, I, I, become, I fall into despair. It's, it's harder for me to fall into despair because the observer is too, is too close and too present. But the idea that my happiness is happiness or unhappiness is a choice is a theory to experiment with. That's the word I was looking for. When I first um, heard about the idea of reincarnation, it just came out of nowhere as far as I was concerned. But intuitively, I felt that it was true, but I wanted to test it. So for a period of time, a couple of years, and this was before I had met Swami or before I was living at Ananda, it was the theory that I tested. When I had certain experiences, when I met people, when I saw people whose condition I didn't understand, I applied the theory of reincarnation to see if it would make sense out of what I was looking at. And over a period of time, the theory made much more sense out of things that were just incomprehensible otherwise. And over time, I became deeply convinced that it it was simply the truth, to the point now where I, I don't even think about it, I just take it for granted. The idea that I can be happy if I choose to be happy, I don't, it, it touches too deeply on the core of my karma. Reincarnation was just a thought and an idea. To be happy touches on the core of our karma. Because karma itself is an unlearned lesson, and it's an unlearned lesson about where happiness comes from and what causes suffering. And so the nature of it when karma hits is that, the, for my, to my mind, the definition of karma is something that can distract you sufficiently from the calm, joyous center of our true nature. 
It can distract us by making us wildly infatuated with a, a person or a situation and we go into a mood that is a mood of, of, of exaltation but not into divinity. It's away from divinity. It's into this world. I got what I wanted. So-and-so really loves me. I won the prize. You know, I, 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 I got the job. Whatever it might be, but it distracts us from the calm understanding that everything is ephemeral and the only truth is my inner reality. Or, of course, it can be, and it does, you know, the deep disappointment often related to other people or else related to ourselves, that I gave it my very best effort and I lost. Or I gave it my very best effort and it was stolen from me. Or once again, I failed to try and so now I'm left alone. All of these different things. But if we look deeper, and this is where the challenge comes, just where Swami says, the rain cleanses the heart, the rainbow reminds us of the inner bliss of God. Why would we not want both of them? Because the necessity to cleanse the heart is the antidote to unhappiness. So if we ever have unhappiness, it's because there's some aberration inside of us which is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to getting caught up in the ephemeral and losing track of the eternal. So, like, welcome to the human race. I'm not, like, saying, so therefore, you know, don't do that. Of course we're going to do it. We have these deep, they're called samskars, here's another Sanskrit word, samskars, which are impressions left on our consciousness by our past life experiences. And our samskars leave us vulnerable because certain things have exaggerated meaning for us. And that exaggerated meaning for us puts us in a state of elation or depression if we, we allow those samskars to sort of have free reign with us. And we do, because that's why we incarnate. If you don't have any uh, karma, which is if you don't have any samskars, I'd say I don't know exactly whether samskars disappear. The word would be vritti. Here's another Sanskrit word. Vritti is a vortex of energy um, it, created by our past actions, and the vritti is the, the whirlpool of karma, really. And so those vrittis are, are magnetic because they're whirlpools, they pull things into them. And we're, we're carrying them because we've had lots of past life experiences. Think how many disappointments you've had in this life that were never really resolved, they just got far enough in the past that they don't have the same power over you. But the power, the, the impact that they had at the time, unless we have really transcended it, remains as a samskar creates a vritti of energy. It's an unlearned lesson. It's karma that's going to have to be resolved. Yeah, this is scary. <laughs> I know this is scary. The answer is through meditation, prayer, devotion, selfless service, and various other things, we dissolve those vrittis directly. We don't have to live through all of them. And that's why the spiritual path is to be, to do, have an active sadhana, active spiritual practice is a really good idea. And meditation is the best because it dissolves those vrittis and we don't have to live through them. But in the meantime, we have to live through them. But if we can deeply know that the reason this is happening to me, no matter how painful it may be, 
And many of life's experiences are very painful. And the reason it's happening to the people I love and is because until those vrittis are resolved, until those misunderstandings of the heart are faced and transcended, we will always be vulnerable to suffering. And the only way to become free of suffering is to cleanse the heart of these confusions, of these wrong feelings, these wrong expectations, these clinging to hurts of the past, which we're all doing. And when you add reincarnation to it, I was starting to say, and also in this lifetime, how many times you see, either in your own life or in in the people that you love, that life comes to an end and these things are not resolved. But they have to be resolved. So when the pain, the rain, the pain of rain, as your heart is being cleansed, comes to us, we can live on two levels. We can live through the necessary pain and simultaneously be deeply joyful that it's happening because it's going to make us free. It's like an operation. It's like we've carried some aberration in our body for a long time and finally the surgeon has figured out a way to cut us open and make us whole. The operation is painful, you know, and we have to, it's just, it's not, in and of itself, it's not enjoyable, but we're so happy to have it because it's going to eliminate, eliminate from our lives a chronic suffering. So when our chronic suffering temporarily becomes acute, we should rejoice rather than complain. And this is where Master says, you can, the, the ability to be happy is the decision to be happy because rain will only fall if the plant needs watering so that the new growth can come. Practice it. Make it a theory and see if with enough practice you have enough experience to understand that it's true. So, there is a simple key to happiness. Resolve to be happy. Depend not on outer things for what you want in life. Earthly happiness is like a rainbow, radiant with bright colors, but evanescent. For it consists only of raindrops, which in human life are the droplets of earthly sorrow. When you learn to welcome the rain as gladly as you smile at a rainbow, the one bringing cleansing to the heart, the other reminding you of God's inner joy, you will be happy always. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.